0: I'm nervous this morning because it's, um, we've come to the end of a series of introduction to the prophets, um, uh, but the last prophet we're looking at is Malachi, and the reason I'm nervous is because he addresses himself particularly to the priests. Now, I know we don't, I don't consider myself a priest in the old-fashioned sense, but I have been called to be a church leader. And so if he speaks to priests, then surely he's speaking to those who are in a leadership role within the congregation of God's people. And so it's very scary. And the reason I'm a bit scared is because God knows my heart and it's not easy, um, it's not easy to keep the fervor going in your own heart. I want you to know before I say anything else that this has deeply challenged me. And at what I've been reading this week, um, actually the challenge has been going on for a number of weeks through the prophets, um, challenging my own relationship with God and my own commitment and my own attitudes in worship. Malachi begins the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi more than any other prophet or book in the Bible, the the term Lord of hosts appears more regularly than any other place. This little book was probably written in the mid-5th century before Christ. So let's say somewhere between 460 and 440 or even later before Christ. That puts it 80-odd years, perhaps, after Haggai that we were looking at last year, last week. Though, for some of you, it may seem like last year. Haggai had phenomenal promises about the temple and about God blessing his people. But these 80 years later, that hasn't happened. And so, Malachi is facing... Is speaking into a situation where, although the people haven't gone back into idolatry, their orthodoxy has become dead. Their religion has become formal, even to the the point actually of being insulting to God, because it's half hearted at best. The term Lord of hosts is probably used so often because the great nation of Israel as it was under Solomon shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and shrunk until first one part of the uh, the, the Jewish people were taken into exile by the Assyrians and then later on the rest of them were taken into exile by the Babylonians. And you know that for 70 odd years the land lied barren with just the poor people left in it and with those who had been resituated by um, the empire. When eventually people came back under an edict of Cyrus, the Persian ruler, the Persians who by then had sort of rubbed out the Babylonian Empire. When those people came back they were a postage stamp, geographically speaking, within the Persian Median Empire. All the greatness was gone. They didn't even have their own army or defence corps anymore. They were living in a land which had been decimated and turned to rubble all those years beforehand. And rebuilding was slow. And then come the promises of people like Haggai and Zechariah, but now 80 years later, these have just haven't been fulfilled. And perhaps like Peter, when he was writing many years later, they said, where then is the promise of his coming? And Peter had to say, Well, God is not slow about his purposes. With God, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. But for the people in Malachi's day, they were just in the middle of this postage stamp, still basically under the rule of Persian Persian, uh, kingdom, but with a little bit of a measure of self-rule. So, With no one to help them, Malachi is reminding them again and again, the God who is your God is the Lord of hosts. Postage stamp you may be, defenseless you may be, demoralized you may be, in and out of season, spiritually speaking, you may be. But your God is the almighty God who is the Lord of hosts, of all the hosts of heaven. Remember, was it Elisha or was it Elijah? I think it was Elisha who, when he and his servant saw Syrians encamped all around them and the, his, the servant was scared, Elisha shouted, cried out to God, Lord, open his eyes! And suddenly he saw all around them armies of flaming chariots, the hosts of God, the angelic hosts in support of his, God's people. Maybe it's the comfort which Jesus took. When uh, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you remember? And he remembered that, well, he's going through this, but he could call out to the Heavenly Father for six legions of angels. Because our God is the God, the Lord of hosts. Yes. If you read, when you read through this, you'll be, you just have to notice how often Malachi puts the words into the mouth of God. We have to remember this. The words we are hearing in this prophecy are the words of God to his people. Ezekiel once was famously told by God that the people come and they say, give us the word of the Lord, give us the word of the Lord, give us the word of the Lord, and they listen and they take no notice. So, we have to take notice. We're listening to the word of the Lord. But it's delivered by a messenger. And Malachi means messenger. So whether or not that was the guy's name or whether that's just a pen name he gave himself. I don't know. But there's a lot about messengers in this. Malachi is a messenger giving the words of the living God. Later on, he speaks about the priests, the leaders of the people, as being messengers from God of the Mosaic law. Later on, In chapter 3, he speaks about a messenger who is going to come, who is a special messenger who is going to come in advance of the Lord appearing to them. And then he speaks of yet another messenger who is actually the Lord who is being anticipated, who has the qualities of God. And we see in the messenger, we see Malachi we see the priests are messengers, then the messenger that is to come, we're coming up to Advent, we recognize from the New Testament and the words of Jesus that that messenger was John the Baptist. And the one that John the Baptist was introducing, the messenger of the covenant, or to us the new covenant, was Jesus with the divine qualities. There's a lot about messenger in this book. And we're listening to God's unfolding plan, one thing anticipating the next. Because although in their day, in their 80 years since Haggai, they haven't seen it happening, it doesn't mean to say the Lord of hosts has gone to sleep. His plan is unfolding. We're still waiting for all kinds of things which God promises to unfold, but we're to be instant in season and out of season. God has not gone to sleep on His plans. This book can be explained in terms of six, six um, discourses, and I can't begin to do justice to the book. So this is what we said: it's an introduction. Before I go any further, though, can I remind you, on the one hand, church bodies or church groupings have leaders, and James says of leaders, let not um, let not many of you I'm, this is probably an authorized version almost let not many of you become teachers, my friends, for those of us who are teachers will be judged with greater severity. So those of us who are leaders in the church, let us take especial notice to the words today of the lords of hosts. But all of you who aspire to be leaders of the people of God, take note of the words of God, the Lord of hosts. But there is one other thing to take note of. The priesthood as it was under the Mosaic law is no longer the priesthood which God works through. God now works through, according to the New Testament, the priesthood of the believers. So that what is said here of the priests in the way that they show forth or do not show forth reverence for God should also be applied to us in our individual, local, and professional lives. Whether we show out our respect and fear of the Lord. Because just as the priests, the Levitical priests, Malachi says this, were to teach God's truth, And Levi, back along in the days of Moses, did that honorably, says Malachi. The priests of Malachi's day, because they're giving half-hearted worship, because they're weary, one word that is used, they snort at the the things they have to do. Oh, we're going to to church. (laughs) We've got to go to church. Mm. I've done that a few times. Have you? Don't answer me. what they're actually showing in their attitudes, they're teaching something different in that attitude. They're teaching that God... (laughs) Not great. He's not going to judge. He's not going to take notice. He does nothing. What kind of teaching is that? You see. So, in the same way that the priests of Malachi's days are giving a bad report of God by their actions and their attitudes and their their emotional responses to the tedium, as they see it, of going through the detail of worshipping God, it's possible for us to give the same bad report of God in the way we go through those details either in our gatherings together as our children watch us or in our lives beyond here. That scares me. The first thing that Malachi, the messenger, throws up is that they're not bringing pure offerings to God. They're offering polluted food. This is in chapter 1. They're in fact saying that the Lord's table can be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, isn't that evil, says the prophet? When you offer those that are lame or sick, isn't that evil? Present that to your governor. What's he going to say? So do you and I treat our approach to God less honourably than we treat our approach to our CEO, our head teacher, our staff, nurse, or whoever happens to be the one that we report to. Because these guys were half-hearted, lackluster, and careless, and selfish in their own worship. Oh, says the prophet, remember speaking the words of God, Oh, that there was one among you who had shut the doors so that you don't kindle fire on my altar in vain. I've got no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I won't accept an offering from your hand because from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering because my name will be great among the nations. But look what you're doing. So Jesus tells us that we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. Some people have the truth but not much spirit. Oh Lord, give us spirit and truth. A worship that rises out of the fear of God. A love of God. The generosity of God. The grace of God. An encounter with God. worship that arises from within because of what God has done and who he is it's not based in style or music or seating arrangements or heating arrangements or who's preaching it's in God based in God Not half-hearted, whole-hearted, pure worship. But you say, what weariness that is. And, and you at it, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, cursed be that, says the Lord. I'm a great king. My name will be feared among the nations. Then in chapter 2, Malachi reminds them that there was a covenant between God and Levi. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, by which, of course, we don't mean craven fear, we mean deep reverential respect. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name true instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you, he said to the priests of his own day, you have turned aside from the way and cause many to stumble by your instruction. I wonder how growing up my children have been affected by the the side swipes, the backbitings, the unseen grumblings, the indifference of the Christians around them in different places and at different times and what instruction they've received from that. I don't think I've been the best at that sometimes either. He then goes on to something which I find quite difficult, I have to say. uh, Because they had married foreign women, uh, women who were devoted to idols in in Malachi's day. And uh, there was a lot of divorce around. Malachi was probably around at roughly the same time as as Ezra and Nehemiah. And if you read those books, you'll see how they dealt with the issue of those who had married foreign women. They put them aside, put them away. Now, I just have to say, standing before God, I find that difficult, Lord. I don't know how to handle that in the 21st century. I just have to say that that's what they did. But the principle, whatever... I haven't been struck down yet. I just want to be honest with you and honest with God about that. But there was a principle here, that they were mingling their relationships with those who would turn them off the best quality of life for God. Are you with me? And there was divorce amongst them. It's it's possible that what they were doing was some of them were divorcing their Jewish wives in order to marry these others. These others who worshipped idols. And I've been thinking about this. Do you know there's a sorcery that goes on all around us every day. Um, My word, sorcery, a spiritual invasion which comes through the advertising. The advertising of women, what they're supposed to look like, how they're supposed to act, how they're supposed to dress. The advertising of men, how virile they're supposed to be, in what proportions, and with what lack of stubble, and with what lack of... Well, I've got wrinkles, and so on. And I think there's a kind of sorcery in that. Because it invades our worldview over a period of time to such, extent, such an extent that what is advertised is taken up in our mind's eye as what should be the norm. And so men have you been bewitched by these things and in your heart at times turned aside from your wife though you're still living together. And now because of women's liberation which I'm not going to argue against I daren't. (laughs) Women have you seen the stereotypes of men? And have you done the same thing? Have we actually, is it possible that we have been, we have been lured away from loyalty and faithfulness? Because Malachi, speaking the word of the Lord, says to the menfolk, do not forsake the wife of your youth. I think that's a big danger in our days, but we just don't say it. And I have to say, my wife's not listening, but if she hears this, D, it's true. I've been lured at times, and become dissatisfied, wrongly, foolishly, by stereotypes if anybody is going through a tough time in their marriage, let's talk about it, shall we? Because there's another kind of love than romantic love, you know. It's the love of God in our hearts. These things can be sorted out and eventually saved. Please think about it. But in their attitudes in Malachi's day to these things, they were they were failing in the law of God. They were, they were dismissing God and his way. Time is going on, and I'm not going to drag on too long beyond the time. One of the things which Malachi says to the people of his day is they are not supporting the work of the Lord as they ought to. And he says to these people, you're robbing God. And they say, how are we robbing God? He says, you're not bringing the full tithe into the storehouse. The full tithe for them included the first fruits of their harvests, and of their flocks. It wasn't just a money thing. But they weren't supporting the work, God's work. The tithe in their day went towards the temple expenses, um, the gatekeepers, the temple keepers, the Levites, and things like that. Um, The work of the Lord for us is the pushing out of the mission of Jesus Christ, isn't it? The making known of his name. The making certain that the nations who are going to honour God hear it, beginning at Jerusalem and rolling out across the nations. Making sure that the word of God is known and and spread. So let me ask you, because we don't talk about money, do we? oh, we're very tight in our conversation about money and about our giving. It's a part of our English castle, maybe. And, of course, the New Testament, as I read the New Testament, argue with me if you wish, I'll, I'll accept a good discussion. But as I read the New Testament, we're no longer called upon to tithe but each one in his own heart to decide how he shall give fruitfully to the Lord. But we have an Old Testament norm of tithing which says, generosity, God loves a cheerful giver. Again, I'm quoting the scripture you remember. So I just want to ask you whether you're bringing <laughs> what your conscience tells you is the full tithe into God's storehouse so that he can bless the work of his hands so his word can spread knowledge be increased we also need to think about whether we're spending it wisely but in Malachi's day they were deemed to be robbing God And I can't look anybody in the eye, can I? Because we don't know. In chapters 3 and 4, Malachi looks forward to a day that is coming, burning like an oven, where the arrogant and all evildoers will be studied, the day, st- stubble, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Chapters 3 and 4 introduce the messenger, John the Baptist, as we look back and now know him to be. The messenger who prepared the way of the Lord, whom we know was the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know that when, um, when John the Baptist was speaking, he talked about uh, when he comes, he will have his winnowing thingy in his hand and he will burn the chaff and stuff like this. So this concept of the the... the the representative of God coming and cleaning out his people and burning the chaff and judgment beginning first with the household of God was in John the Baptist's eye and mind and he got it from here. We know when Jesus came, he didn't do that. Jesus came with a sharp and firm word to the hypocrites and the false people. But he came with a compassion which reached out and healed the sick. We're told that when he came, he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. God, start doing it in our midst again. Start doing it in our neighbourhood again. Through us. Because this is the living Lord. The Christ who was dead and is alive again. This is what he did then. And he brought compassion. And the people who thought that they would be made into stubble were welcomed and they fell down before him and they worshipped him. And blind men and lame men and and people delivered from demons skipped up and down the street because of him. Because he demonstrated the extraordinary mercy and grace of God. Which is still extant now. This is still the God we worship. And this era hasn't come to an end. And we're still part of making it known. Which I think is fantastic. Don't forget it. Please don't forget it. Please don't let me forget it. Because Jesus is here to deliver and to redeem and to transform and to change and to emancipate and to liberate and to cleanse and to heal. So, Jesus didn't do the judging thing then. Actually, he was crucified for it. And it's fascinating that the the English, not the Jewish, but the English version of Malachi finishes with these words Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. End of Old Testament. The scary thing is that when the Christ came and demonstrated this grace of God, he was crucified and the land in AD 70 was destroyed. a reminder from god to take heed to the lord and peter says that in the last days judgment again will begin with the household of god and when jesus comes again it will be it will be to sort out the nations of the earth and the righteous from the unrighteous and the sheep from the goats when Jesus comes again. And the word of Malachi, to me and to us, is purify your hearts, be ready for him, set your lives and your worship and your interactions right with him. Nobody knows the day, and we may all die still waiting for it. But when I die, I want to die as one who was prepared. Because when I die, the day will be upon me. So are you living as if today you die? When you meet Jesus, that risen Saviour, who is able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You listen to the word of the Lord of hosts. You allowed me to search you. You allowed me to change you. Oh, I'm so glad you're with me now. (laughs) Think about it.